Hello, and welcome to another episode of Moms That Curse. I'm Ariel. And I'm Isabel. Today, we're going to be talking about life after birth, the postpartum journey. If you have sensitive ears around, just know that there will be cursing. We just want to first say thank you to everybody who is listening to the first episode. It's given us a lot of constructive criticism and a lot of positive feedback. We really appreciate it. We are aware that there are technical difficulties. We're trying our best. <laughs> we're still learning. And we are Googling and doing everything we need to be. This is all new to us, too. So thank you for your patience. There will be major improvements in the following months. <laughs> so postpartum. I think when people think about postpartum, they think of like postpartum depression or something, but it goes a lot more than that. For example, when I first gave birth to my daughter, I didn't even realize how much emotion, how much your hormones just go absolutely crazy. Yeah, and I do agree. Everybody has a plan of parenting and a parenting style that they say they're going to do and this is what it's going to be when my baby's born but what ends up happening is that reality strikes and it turns out that all these wonderful things you wanted to do they don't work out quite as much as you wish they did for example with me when I had both of my kids I said I was going to breastfeed and I was going to breastfeed and this was going to be my journey and when I had my second child, I actually was able to stay home for two months and I swore I would breastfeed, but it didn't turn out that way. I took classes, I bought the latches and I did everything that I could, but it just did not work out. And you get that mom guilt where it's like, I'm doing something wrong. I'm not doing enough. Am I being a good mom? But we're just trying our best. And sometimes you do get depressed and you question everything about your parenting. Yeah, we often think of becoming a mother as the happiest time in a woman's life, but during pregnancy or soon after delivering the baby, some women may experience a serious mood disorder like postpartum depression. Like, for example, we were talking about the breastfeeding, the mom guilt. I know a lot of mothers that go through that mom guilt and it really affects them. I fortunately didn't really have that problem at the beginning. That mom guilt for me when it came to breastfeeding came afterwards when my supply started to drop they immediately put me skin to skin with her after she was born and research has shown that holding your baby skin to skin has so many benefits like it helps increase your milk volume by increasing the levels of the milk making hormone oxytocin it stimulates digestion and an interest in feeding it regulates the baby's heart rate and breathing and it helps them you know to adapt to the world outside of the womb. And just because you didn't breastfeed doesn't mean that you're a bad mom. There's a lot of things that go into breastfeeding. Some women can't lactate for whatever reason. It could be medical or otherwise. Their baby can't latch and it's just a hard time for some babies to do that. So if you didn't, that's totally fine. You can still do skin to skin. And there's other benefits that you and your baby can benefit from by doing that. You know, overall just creates a really good bond for you and your baby. So for me, it was hard because I was in a different state than my family and friends. Nobody really checked up on me except for one or two people. And during that time, I was in an apartment with my partner and we were not in the best neighborhood at the time. And there was a lot of smoking. And even though there was a no smoking building, that really gave me a lot of stress and anxiety. As a first time mom, I didn't even want to go home. I didn't want to leave the hospital. I was crying and crying because my partner had went to go pick up the baby 
baby's clothes. He had walked into her room and the whole house was filled with cigarette smoke. It was so thick, especially in the baby's room, that you could see the smoke in the air. That's how intense it was. We tried to talk to management and nothing worked. Nobody wanted to help us. And before I even came out of the hospital, all I kept thinking was about, oh my God, like I'm putting my baby's life in danger by putting her in an apartment that was filled with cigarette smoke, especially for her being so little. She, you know, her lungs and everything. I just didn't want anything to happen to her. And that took a lot for me to even come home because I did nothing but cry because I just felt horrible that I couldn't provide a home for my kid, a safe environment. That's what it made me feel like I was stuck. I was really afraid to go home. I mean, my partner didn't know. He tried his best to support me, but they don't really prepare you for all the emotional changes that happen, especially right after you give birth to your baby or within the first year. Yeah, no, I do agree with that. I think there's this taboo about postpartum and postpartum depression and all those psychological parts that comes with being a parent. I think people don't talk about it. Everybody has this idea of parenting is this beautiful thing. So if you even complain about it, you're a horrible mom. And and I don't agree with that because I feel like you are allowed to feel a million emotions. Like you literally have this new life in your hands. You don't know what you're doing more than half the time. And not everybody has that support system where you can call someone or talk to someone and say, hey, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? Can you tell me how can I do this better? Instead, if you ask a lot of times, you get judged and it's like, oh, how do you not know what you're doing? How do you, you know, you're such a horrible parent. Like, I can't believe you're not doing this and you're not doing that. And I think that's part of the problem as to why women end up feeling the way they do because they feel like they have no support. When I had my first son, I went back to work a week and a half after having a C-section because I just couldn't afford to stay home. And with my second one, I was lucky enough to be home for two months. And even then he was like, oh my God, you're leaving your kid in a daycare. He's only two months old, but you don't have a choice. And so you get this guilt trip. And again, it's that mom guilt that just keeps popping up in everything that you do. You're trying to make sure your kid has a roof, but then you're guilt trip for it. And then if you don't, then you're guilt trip for that too. And it's like this constant judgment and you're just trying your best, you know, to give your child a safe place to be. Sometimes life just doesn't work out that way. I think also too, with all the chemical changes that happen after you give birth to that child, it's like you overthink every little decision that you do. You want to make sure that you have the best for your baby and, you know, all these other obstacles come because, yeah, you need to provide. You need to make sure that they're safe. And all those things definitely come into play environmental factors. It's actually estimated nearly 50% of mothers with postpartum are not even diagnosed by a health professional. You know, new mothers are more likely to get postpartum depression. In fact, 10 to 20% of pregnant or new mothers will experience the sign or symptoms of postpartum depression. And that's just in the U.S. And for me, the hospital that I had gave birth in, they were screening me like every hour on the hour after I gave birth to her because they wanted to make sure that I was okay before leaving the hospital. And they almost didn't discharge me right away because I was crying so much. The emotions of going to that room 
room with that smoke and with those people and it was just not really a safe environment but just because in my mind it was creating this like horrible situation in my head and I was overthinking everything and I just kept looking at this beautiful little baby and I couldn't think like why is it that a lot of the people don't have the common decency to go outside and when we went to go get help would leave me and my partner in a dead end and that was really hard for me and they had actually people in the hospitals like psychologists or whatever come to the hospital and talk to me pediatricians and stuff talk to me give me letters for my baby so that I can take it to the apartment people and just to make sure I had all the paperwork to kind of help me and then you know eventually I was able to go home with her but I don't know if that happened to you but they were screening me like always making sure that you know I didn't have or experience any signs or symptoms of postpartum depression no that did not happen to me when I gave birth to my first son who's now 14 my mom thankfully was there she took time off work and she did stay with me she helped me a lot which I'm very thankful for to this day however when I had my second child that was six years ago and I didn't have that I actually felt very alone because the hospital you know they had the mommy and me by then where your child was with you all the time and you didn't get the support that you needed because they really they checked on you for your vital you know symptoms and make sure that you're okay that you know your your blood pressure is not up the roof that you're not losing blood I did lose a lot of blood with my second one so they were checking me for anemia and things like that but when it came to the psychological aspect of it, I was very alone. Um, I did have a few people come and see me, but they were only there for like about an hour and then they would leave. So it was just me and my baby. And it was really hard because I had a C-section. So even getting off to the toilet or doing all these things, it was very difficult. And the nurses really didn't come in there too much to check on me, except the first day because I did have a fever and I was constantly throwing up. But once that was done and they were able to contain everything, that's it. They really didn't and check on you unless you call them for like milk or a diaper or something like that so it was really hard so I kept trying to keep myself motivated and it's like you know I'll go home soon my brother was at my house with my cousin and my aunt and stuff like that and so I kept telling myself you know once I go home I'll have people around me that can help me but for the first days that I was at the hospital it was really hard because I did not get no type of psychological help the only thing they did try to help me with was the breastfeeding which still didn't work yeah <laughs> I tried my best it's okay. And that's okay. That's okay. I did have lactation consultants come to my room and my baby, she had a harder time latching. And so I ended up just pumping for a little bit and just kind of like I had to use these little plastic things that you put over your boobs to oh, get the yeah. baby to latch. I, I tried those. They didn't work for me. <laughs> those actually were the only things that worked for my baby. And she ended up latching. I think a lot of it is trial and error and what works for you and your baby, things like that, because it's like it's not one size fits all for everybody. It's really not. I didn't even realize this until after breastfeeding, for example, your sleep, what you eat, what you're doing. I mean, what you're putting in your body, any little thing can, uh, you get sick, can alter your supply. So for me, I had a lot of that. Like I told you, when I was pregnant, I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it still is. 
<laughs> I was crazy and I just like I knew how I wanted my baby to be raised I knew the foods I wanted to put in my body and then when they told me you know you're not gonna this pregnancy isn't viable you're gonna have a miscarriage you're not gonna make it to 38 weeks good thing we're humans and doctors don't really know everything and miracles do happen or they don't really have all the exact data or whatever so she ended up being born you know 38 and a half weeks she was healthy and fine but I think a lot of that had to do with the way I was taking care of myself as well and trying not to do so much strenuous exercise and for me I think that building up of like I need to protect my baby I need to protect my baby all the time that like when she finally came out I was like so in awe of her I just wanted to watch her like a hawk all the time I could not sleep I could not eat I was in labor for 18 hours I was exhausted and I still the moment she came out I couldn't get away from her like I just wanted to be like on top of her all the time I would check her breath every five seconds. I'm like, is she breathing? Is she okay? And my partner's like, she's fine. Just let her sleep. I'm like, no, no. I just need to make sure she's okay. And this was all right before we even left the hospital. And when everything was good to go, they went, made sure that her hearing test was good, that she didn't have jaundice, all those things. And everything was fine. They're like, all right, you're going to be discharged later on today. And my partner and I looked at each other like, What? Like, what the fuck happens now? What the fuck? Oh, my God. I was like, wait, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> I don't even know how to strap a baby into a car seat. <laughs> and, I mean, she was like, she was 6 pounds, 9.4 ounces, okay, 19 inches. And she's so tiny and fragile. And it's just like, I couldn't even put her in the car seat. The nurse had to put her in the car seat for me. She was strapping her in super tight. And I was like, I think that's a little too tight. Like, I think she's like, relax, <laughs> relax. You're all right. You're right. <laughs> So my boyfriend and I, like, we were like, can we stay an extra day? <laughs> Maybe don't go over that. They're like, no, you can't, unfortunately. I'm like, but please, we don't know what to do. They're like, you guys are going to be fine. They're like, no, no, you understand? <laughs> and that first car ride was very slow. Like in the scene in Knocked Up at the end when they're driving home with the baby and they're holding up traffic on the highway. It's just like precious cargo in the car, you know, and it was just hard. I mean, how was it when you took your baby home for the first time? Well, when I took my baby home, I think it was my sister that picked me up at the hospital. She had experience because she had already had a daughter. So she strapped on the baby. I think she was the one that did all that stuff. And I had babysit for her sometimes. So I kind of knew, how, you know, how the whole thing went. But when it came time to shower him, I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to drown this baby. So I like called my mom and she was in the room and I was like, mom, I don't know how to shower this baby. So she like... But, you know, she was, like, just showing me. She goes, it's really simple. She's, like, you don't stick them in the tub. Just, like, get it, like, a, like, a, like a cloth. And she's, like, and you just rinse them off. And so she, like, showed me. And I was, like, oh, my God. But what if water goes in his mouth? And then he drowns because he's not supposed to have water because he's a baby. And I'm, like, thinking all these million scenarios in my head about how this baby's going to drown. And to this day, I'm not going to lie. One of my biggest fears is that one of my kids chokes. I have, like, this paranoia when they're eating. Like, I didn't give my kids popcorn until they were, like, four because I was, like, they're going to fucking choke on this shit. Like, no, you can't eat this. You can't eat chicken wings. You can't eat none of this shit. <laughs> so I always pull, like, when they eat chicken wings and stuff, I, like, pull the meat out. And my son is 14, and he's still, like, mom, this is bones. Take them out. Like, <laughs> because I've always been so paranoid. Well. I know. I'm, like, super paranoid with, like, my kids choking. And I'm just, like... You know, but the showering to me was obviously like one of my worst fears. Before I had my son, I had never carried a baby because I was like, I'm going to break the neck. But 
once my son was born, it was just like natural. It just came to me. And I was like, oh, my God, like I'm holding a baby. He's still alive. Like I'm doing good. Like, I'm doing good. I'm passing. I'm passing this. I can do this. A lot of people were telling me when I was pregnant, don't worry. Like, if, when you have this baby, your natural instincts are just going to kick in immediately. Don't even worry about this because I had all these questions. What if this? What if that? Don't worry. Everything's when it happens, you're going to just know. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So I just realized, like, <laughs> I'm just going to do all this research. I'm going to read books and read books and try to, like, educate myself as much as I can because I'm that type of person. So when it came down to it and the baby came everything that i read went out the window because i did not remember pregnancy brain and it was crazy to me how that natural instinct that you were talking about definitely just consumes you and that mother just comes out it's that protectiveness that worrisome that oh i know this or and i don't know if you did but like my baby like she had a specific cry like her tone of crying her pitch i knew when she was hungry i knew when she you know had a wet diaper i i like i could distinguish each time that she cried and what is it that she needed at first like the first week or so i'm like i don't know what i'm doing and i'm like she's crying crying i don't know what you want and i'm like crying with her i don't know <laughs> but then eventually it kind of just like oh that's that cry where she gets like really like a screaming cry it's like oh she's really hungry or that whiny cry oh she has a wet diaper or whatever you know or she's cranky like I just kind of like distinguished over time and I kind of like knew my baby you know it's a hard experience this is like a new person that you love so much but have no idea who this person is <laughs> what this person likes they don't know you but yet you've been on this journey with this little being and the bond is so intense and I can't even describe how crazy the bond is that you have with your kid like there's no words that you can put you know to say how intense that feeling of love is no, yeah, and I do agree. I think, like, you know, you have this little person in your body, not sure what's going to happen when they're born, and then you hold them, and it's like, oh, my God, like, I don't want nothing to ever happen to you, and so you have this need to constantly protect them, and I'm not a helicopter mom. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not, like, on top of my kids like You're that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> she feels attacked. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not. I'm very, like, free with my kids, but I still have this constant need to protect them, and I do understand that feeling of when they're born and you hold them and, and then knowing their cries is like it's like a language thing you know it's like when you fight with your partner that you know when they're really mad and then you know when they're kind of upset and you you kind of can tell when they're having a bad day it's kind of like the same thing when, when my firstborn was a year and a half he ended up breaking his arm I'm not gonna lie we were at the park and I was sitting down talking to my friend and then the way he screamed it was like different and, and as soon yes and as soon as I heard it I just ran honestly I don't remember what happened after that because it's just everything went black it was like this panic because of the scream that he did but I also knew like when we were home and he was in his crib and he would like scream or cry or whatever I could tell if he was faking it if he just wanted to be picked up if he was his diaper if he was hungry you just you learn to speak their language pretty much and that's what ends up happening is like Ariel says it's like a bond that you create with this kid and even like I said, my 14 year old, we're still very close. And my six year old, you know, he says we're not close. But when yeah. I'm not there, where he goes to Miami with his dad, and he'll call me and be like, I miss you, mommy. Like, I just want to be with you, mommy. You know, and when he comes home and we lay down to watch TV, he'll give me a kiss and he's like, mommy, I missed you so much. You know, because it's a bond that you just cannot break. 
you know, and like I say, you learn to speak their language and you learn to see when they're having a bad day, when, you know, they're not doing good and you just can tell and it's like you can feel it because you're somehow connected to this person. When I brought her home, I experienced such intense emotion with everything going on with my environment. Like when I first came home with my partner and the baby, the house was again filled with smoke. It was horrible. So of course, you know me, like I was just filled with anger and it became so bad that we had to move out, like take all of our furniture, take our mattress, take the baby's bassinet and everything and move it into uh, the baby's room and the, or the living room, depending on the day that they decided which day they were going to smoke in the house. And that was hard. Like I couldn't even have a space for my baby. You know, I spent all this time. We worked really hard to like get this apartment. You know, it was like new and supposedly this was a better place for us. And it was just the promise of this new journey and healthy. And the smoke was like too intense. And sometimes my daughter would gasp for air. We had to take her to the hospital a couple times. It was so intense. Like the baby's clothes would smell like cigarette smoke. It would make me so angry and like sad because not even nobody would help me. And not even the management for the building would do anything about it. They just said, basically, like, you're complaining too much, so go fuck yourself. That made me really, really angry. And it put me into, like, this depression almost. It happens. It's called baby blues, right? So there's different types of postpartum depressions. They have baby blues. They have the postpartum anxiety. They have postpartum OCD. And then they have postpartum PTSD. And then the ultimate ones would be postpartum psychosis. I had the baby blues. And you can definitely feel it. About 50 to 75 new mothers have baby blues. They send in around between one to four days after you give birth and last usually between one to two weeks. So I definitely did experience that because if I didn't see her, I would like freak out. Like it wasn't because I think that he was going to hurt her or anything. It was just that anxiety of like, oh my God, I can't see her. I don't know where she's at. She needs me all the time. Just like this constant horrible feeling. And I, I didn't mean for it to be that baby, you know, it either can add to the love or it can break, it. break the, you know, with all the stress and everything. And that was really hard. He couldn't feed her without me looking. Like, I was just like, and I don't know what it was, and I couldn't control it. Like, I really couldn't control it. And then on top of that, my partner went to work shortly after me giving birth. And I was alone. I didn't know what I was doing, and I felt lonely. One night, somebody tried to kidnap our daughter. For me, that was the reason why my feelings intensified the way that they did. Just because I was becoming so overly protective so like my kid needed to be in the bubble and the only bubble she could be in was with me and nobody else like it was really hard and my partner didn't understand what I was going through and a lot of women experience that where their partners or their family members they really don't understand what these women go through after giving birth yeah and the thing is that a lot of people feel like well when I give birth that didn't happen to me and like okay that's okay but it doesn't mean that it cannot happen to somebody else because they went I gave birth to both my kids. Like I said, I went to work fairly quickly. So I didn't pretty much get to get like the baby blues, I guess, because I had to put my kids in daycare. And to me, it was more of like that mom guilt. I'm not around my kids all the time. I don't see them all the time. You know, by the time I get home back then, I lived in Miami. And by the time you get home in Miami, it's like fucking eight o'clock at night, you know, and then it's bedtime for your kids. And then you're always tired. You know, my kids will get hungry in the middle of the night. And so I had to get up and feed them. And then I had to get up the next day at six in the morning to 
to go to work, drop them at my daycare, and then do it all over again. By the time the weekend came that I was able to spend time with my kids, I was tired because I had been doing this all week. By the time Saturday comes, I'm dead, you know, and I just want to sleep all day. So it was very difficult for me in that sense. So I did get that feeling of like I'm not doing enough for my kids with me it was more of like I was traumatized you know so after I had my first kid I wanted to cut my tubes because I didn't want to have any more kids I wasn't allowed to um Why not? because I was too young and I only had one child and so it was like no you can't do this because, like a doctor actually said no. yeah I told my doctor that I wanted to cut my tubes or tie my tubes and he said no because you're still too young you only have one kid and you don't know later on just wait until you're older so when I was 25, I asked and I still got denied. So when I had my second child, I was like, no, you're fucking doing this. And they didn't tell me nothing. They just said, okay, I was already 31. So I think I was like 30, 31. And they did it. And I was very glad I did because I was traumatized for my kids because I felt like I don't give my kids enough, you know? And so that was very difficult as a single mom, you know, I was single for both of my kids. So it made it really difficult to be able to create that bond that I felt we didn't have, but now that my kids are older, I can tell you for all the single moms out there, <laughs> the bond is very tight. I'm super tight with my kids. My kids sadly have seen me struggle, which is something that I wish they wouldn't have seen, but it's just part of life, you know? A lot of it is like I've said in the previous podcast, is choices that I've made, and I do understand that, and I do take accountability for that, but sadly, my kids were there for all of it, and so it creates a bond where we have this connection where we protect each other, you know? My kids protect me, and I protect my kids especially since they're boys and they're very jealous both of them <laughs> with everybody and everything so yeah so for my single moms you get the bonds you get the connection even if you have two jobs you still get that connection with your kids you said ptsd was it because of your traumatic birth experience I think it's just a contribution of everything. It was the C-section. You know, I had complications on both of my C-sections. I did not have a good reaction to the epidural. So that was one of those things. And then after I gave birth, you know, having to take care of a newborn after a C-section, and even with my second one after I cut my tube, the healing process was excruciating. So it was very difficult when my son would cry and it would literally take me five minutes just to get the fuck off the bed, you know, to be able to carry him and try to breastfeed as much as I could, but then eventually giving up and just giving him formula. So it's like all this mental and, you know, emotions that you're going through, the physical trauma that you go through it's just it's a lot and it gets all piled up into this let's say two months period because it's like one thing after the other you're going through this trauma daily where you're feeling insufficient where you're feeling like a bad mom where you're feeling like oh my god I have to fucking go to work you know and I gotta go drop my kid at daycare and it's like are they gonna take care of him good and luckily um when my son went to daycare at two months they loved him and they loved him a lot and they used to buy him clothes and the lady even told me she's like don't tell nobody I bought him this because you know when we first started taking care of babies we like favored this girl and the mom started getting jealous because the girl really wanted to come to daycare she didn't spend spend time with her and so she called you know DCF and they did like this whole investigation the daycare just because the mom was jealous so yeah so they were told like they're not allowed to buy kids anything but she's like so please don't tell anybody about him this (laughs) and I thought it was really cute um so they adore him there so I was very happy for that and it made me feel better about going to work but I do have that fear like what if 
they didn't like him at the daycare. What if they treated him bad? And what if they did this? And, and you don't know because they're little. They can't tell you. So you just kind of hope for the best. That's exactly the reason why I decided to stay home, either get a job from home or stay home permanently full time until my daughter was old enough to at least speak. And because especially when you hear all these like horrible stories of like these daycares and caregivers that they trusted and then they start abusing the kids or something happens and it's like in my head it's nobody will ever love or take care of your kid the way you will so for me I have this like expectation and if you're not reaching that then you can't watch my kid <laughs> now I'm more like I let my daughter kind of do what she wants and because she's coming into her own now she has her personality she can walk she's starting to say things so I kind of like definitely step back but I had to learn and that was a really hard and challenging time her first year to learn to to take a step back that it's okay you need a break you need to breathe because that's her dad and he loves her just as much as you <laughs> and it's okay to be alone and have them have their time it was really hard for me to do that I had horrible time so I'm sorry I'm sorry my partner knows I'm sorry <laughs> and you know a lot of people like 75% of women you know they develop maternal anxiety then you have postpartum PTSD where one in ten will experience PTSD from horrible experiences with their pregnancy or labors. All those things come into play when you are alone. Uh, part of the reason also why my partner and I decided not to go to daycare was because daycare is extremely expensive. If you want to have any type of birth control, look at the prices of daycare. They are crazy. I actually decided to check how much I've spent in daycare. <laughs> Because um, everybody's always like, why are you always so broke? Why you never got no money? But it's like, I did the math in between both of my kids. And keep in mind, my oldest actually stopped going to daycare full time when he was four because luckily he qualified for what they call um, VPK, which starts if your child is born before the 1st of September, he qualifies for this. Luckily, my son was born on August. Mm. So he was like right at the cutoff. So when he turned four, I was able to qualify for this program. So my daycare cost was actually cutting half mm. because I would only have to pay from 12 to six instead of the whole day. And I did the math and I have paid over $65,000. You're kidding me. In daycare costs. So if you want birth control, <laughs> think of that. <laughs> okay, this is like out of my pocket, no government assistance. This is just me working my ass off. To and they covered half. Yeah, well, after he was born, you know, so you keep that in mind or just go through the pamper aisle, like oh just go God. through there. Yes, oh my God. Pampers are extremely expensive. They can run you between $40 to sometimes $70, depending how big of a pack that you get. And the brand, shout out to all the parents out there that have multiple kids and close in age that have to buy different size diapers. You guys are the real MVPs. I don't know how you do it because it is fucking hard. Super hard. And everything is so fucking expensive. Like I was able to breastfeed for six months. I had a good enough supply and my partner, we would take like shifts. That was what worked for us. So I would pump and then leave milk in the fridge or the freezer for him and he can go feed the baby. And then in the during the day, I would go ahead and just have her latch or whatever or pump in between. But to pump every two hours, to have this baby latch on you every two hours, it's like, oh my goodness, it's a lot. And I remember when when I got COVID when she was like six months, 
and my supply just dropped significantly. Horrible feeling because I was like, she's not going to get the antibodies. What's going to happen? She has COVID. Freaking out, being all paranoid and everything. And I was lucky enough to have a little, little bit <laughs> that I tried my best to like eat ton of oatmeal and eat everything that I could find on the internet. You to hold on to that. Yeah, just, just to like linger on, you know? If I can get at least a teaspoon of breast milk into her formula, she would have the antibodies already. So I was like, that's my goal. At least a teaspoon. At least a teaspoon. <laughs> and there's this company that makes like pearls or like little things oh, yeah, I don't know. out of your breast milk and stuff and it's yours and it's like you know a memory of that time because it was such a beautiful experience and I felt horrible because I was one of those moms that really wanted those things like wanted that to like remember that time that beautiful experience yeah but then I started thinking like it wasn't really that beautiful I was struggling a lot I was constantly on top of like everything that I ate everything that I drank and I needed to make sure that I slept and every time my supply would dip a little bit I would like start freaking out and it was like a really really stressful time and I also felt like why am I gonna reward myself for something when I only did it for six months and I was like oh and it made me feel even worse because when I did switch my baby to formula she was having such a horrible time with having formulas and she would throw up she was starting to get extremely gassy she wouldn't take them and it made me feel even worse so my anxiety went through the roof on top of everything that I was dealing with with everything else and just trying to adjust to this new life I realized that fed is best and I don't know about you but when for me like my partner would be sleeping sound asleep and I would be the only one to hear the baby my eyes are like raccoon eyes I'm extremely exhausted my body is trying to still recover I mean I had stitches down there and I couldn't sit right I was just like bleeding for a long time I mean dealing with the body changes and with breastfeeding and breastfeeding hurts because when you're super engorged and you're full your breasts hurt like oh my god like please just like chop these off already what the fuck yeah i didn't get to breastfeed but i did get to engorge and so that was wonderful (laughs) (laughs) i hated that feeling and especially if the baby was sleeping and that happened i'm like hey little one get up get up get up (laughs) it's time to eat (laughs) yeah that was definitely probably one of the worst feelings is the engorge you know especially when you're trying to breastfeed and this kid will fucking last but it's like your breasts are like rocks and they're hot and they're red and my mom was like putting cloths on it with warm water trying to like push this milk out and it was excruciating and I was like fuck this like I don't want to do this you know formula it is but lucky me my son got on formula you know my oldest um you know he got on formula and he made him stick So I was like, fuck, you know, and this is the formula that the week gives you. So it's free. So I was like, great, you know, but then it made him sick. He wouldn't go to the bathroom. He was super constipated. He was very bloated. So I took him to a pediatrician and they changed him to a different formula that's not covered by week. So I was like, fuck, I got to buy this shit out of pocket. And he was like super expensive. And this kid could eat. (laughs) So I was like constantly going through formulas. So that was hard. That same thing happened to me when I eventually switched her to a different formula. And I had talked to her pediatrician about it. They switched her formula about three times. And each time, she still was acting fussy, throwing up a lot. She was spitting up a lot. It was just wasn't agreeing with her. And eventually, they switched her to, like, the sensitive formula, which didn't get covered by WIC. <laughs> but I ended up looking out because it did get covered by SNAP. Mm-hmm. So I was able to kind of, like... For those of you that don't know what SNAP is, it's the food stamp. 
Yeah, it is a food stamp. Because we learn here that some people don't know what that is. <laughs> Storing coming soon in another episode. <laughs> must yeah. be nice. Yeah, it must be nice. I don't care. Like, I needed help when I was on government assistance. I was on WIC. I was on food stamps. That's truth. And it helped me a lot during that time. And I'm glad that even though it wasn't covered by WIC, that it was covered on SNAP. But even with, during that time when I was breastfeeding, I would look at my partner and I'm, <laughs> I'm like, you get to sleep, you get to chill. And I'm over here like exhausted. Exhausted, and it did start creating like some animosity because <laughs> I'm like, here, take the baby, man. I need a break. Like, take a break. And he's like, wait a second. I'm confused by you because first you want to be on top of her and then you want me to have her. So which one is it? <laughs> I think I'm going to have to apologize to him thinking about all this. <laughs> this is like a self-reflection, right? And I'm sure, I don't know if a lot of you moms are, you know, went through the same thing where you feel like angry with your partner because your partner's doing all these things normally and now your whole life has changed and and dealing with all these emotions if you don't like your partner during this time it's totally okay and it is normal and it will eventually go away good thing it didn't last very long and eventually I kind of like got the hang of being a routine and that's what really helped me a lot with my postpartum journey is that I had a specific routine and no matter what I would not like steer from it yeah and um, that's what really kind of helped me kind of come out of it Especially because I'm like, damn, I can't do anything for myself and, you know, I can't really go anywhere and things like that. And that was hard. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, with me, it's just, you know, the- having to go back to work. I did luckily with my first, um, my stepdad had like a family member here and she was here for six months. So at night, she would help me a lot um, in the middle of the night for the first four months because then she got like a job. Um, she did help me. She will wake up when the baby will wake up and she's like, no, no, don't worry, you know, go back to sleep um, because I had to work in the morning and I was going to school back then too. So that made it even more difficult. But yeah, but I did let her help me with my son because I needed the help. When she went back to her country, it definitely made it very difficult because now I had nobody, yeah. you know, and I had to wake up in the middle of the night. And so I did sleep train both of my kids when they were three months because I'm like, I'm not doing this shit, you know, waking up. And so the first few weeks, you know, they will cry and stuff, but they caught on real quickly that you can cry as much as you want, but I'm not going to fucking carry you, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what it was. And both of my kids sleep trained since they were three months. And right now this house could literally fall to the ground. And this kids will sleep right through it, you know? <laughs> when I live with my aunt, you know, my kids will be sleeping and she'll, like, drop something because she'd be cooking in the kitchen. She's like, oh, my God, the kids. And I was like, no, mm-hmm. nothing's going to happen with these kids. They're not going to wake up. They're not going to move. They just stay there. And that was great, you know? So, yeah, that was my journey. I want to say that everybody has a different postpartum journey. I said earlier the different types of postpartums that people go through. If you are experiencing anything like that, have someone to talk to or there's resources out there or even talk to your doctor because this is pretty serious and we know that these emotions can definitely overcome you and especially when you don't know what's going on or you don't know the facts it's a lot harder for people so please go out and reach out to people talk to them because it might definitely help you in the long run no yeah and I think if you just need a break because sometimes it's just exhaustion dealing with a child 24-7 and if you need a break it's okay 
okay to ask for help. I understand that a lot of times people feel like, no, but it's bad because it's my kid and I need to be with them all the time. And so they allow the exhaustion to get the best of them. That's me. I'm that. I'm that person. (laughs) And, And it's okay to be, you know, to tell your partner or like I was a single mom, but my kid's dad, they were still around sometimes. So I did, they did take him on some weekends and that allowed me to get a little break, even though it was not for a long time, but he made a huge difference. Even just one day, it makes a huge difference as far as your mental health. Like I said, a lot of times it's just exhaustion. You just, you're constantly running and running and your brain doesn't stop. Your body's going through this too, together with your brain. And so there's no breaks in between. And sometimes you just need a break. So it's okay to reach out and ask for help. Like Ariel says, there is resources out there. It's just a matter of looking for them and asking for that help that you need. And there's nothing wrong with asking for help. I was that parent who that did not want to ask for help because I could do it on my own and I was super mom. But as I've gotten older, I've learned that sometimes it's okay to ask for help and to reach out to someone. If you just need to talk or you just need to vent or, you know, cry or just cry by yourself. You know, I did that too. I would put my son in the crib and just sit in the kitchen and cry because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. (laughs) Yeah, and it's a lot of frustration too. Because like I said, you have this idea in your mind of how great of a parent you're going to be and how great this child is going to behave. And then this child says, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to scream whatever the fuck I want. I'm not hungry. I don't need a new diaper. I'm not gassy. I'm just being a dick, you know, and they do it and they fucking cry and you go crazy and you just got to learn to step away. I learned, well, at least with my baby, that she was actually a really good baby for the most part. I mean, she had her moments, especially when we were transitioning into formula because that was the time where she was the most cranky. But other than that, before then, she was a really good baby and I... Like, because I've worked on that schedule with myself and with her, that definitely helped. But now it's like we're in the toddler phase. And all that shit went out the door. And now she's coming into her own. She's she's in a screaming phase now. So everything <laughs> is like in screaming. <laughs> so I'm like, what happened to you? You were so good. What happened? But, you know, so it's just like as different journeys or whatever. And But, you know, when I was dealing with it, with the new baby and everything, especially being in a different state, away from everybody that I knew that could really help me. And I really didn't have that much family around. My partner was working a lot. And... Um, I did have to enroll myself in therapy to kind of help myself. And if it wasn't for that, because I realized like the motions and dealing with a baby by myself was getting to me and I needed someone to talk to. I needed somebody to work out through these issues and kind of like separate what emotion from fact. And it definitely helped me. And it's, if it wasn't for me realizing the signs and especially being moody, rushing out, being angry, you can either be overprotective or you can be very, very distant from your baby. You don't want to connect. You don't want to be near your partner. You kind of isolating yourself. And I realized, okay, I need to do something because if not, like I'm not going to be the best mom that I can be. Definitely helped me kind of understand and learn myself better, learn my baby better and navigate my life where now I don't have any of those issues and there definitely is light at the end of the tunnel and if anybody is experiencing any symptoms of postpartum depression, regardless of what stage you're in, whether it's anxiety or PTSD or even just baby blues, 80% of the women with postpartum depression will have a full recovery. There are researchers out there. There are people. There is understanding. The first thing is recognizing yourself and who you are and realizing, okay, I do need help or this might be a problem later on. And so that's exactly what happened to me. 
Yeah, we do understand that everybody has the financial resources, you know, to be able to get, you know, like uh, professional help. But if you don't, you can always talk to a friend, talk to a parent, talk to, you know, just anybody to kind of let some of that frustration. Yeah, some of that frustration and those feelings out and just vent it out, cry it out with someone, hug someone, you know, because hugging heals. And so sometimes you just need that connection with someone. So do reach out. Like I said, it's okay to ask for help. Definitely. Thank you for listening to Moms That Curse. Yes. We know it's been kind of heavy. These two episodes, we've talked about very serious stuff. So next episode, we'll go ahead and lighten up a little bit. So it'll be a surprise. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to be up to date whenever we release. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, underscore Moms That Curse, and on TikTok, Moms That Curse. Thank you. See you next week.